I'm opening my Bible to Titus chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verse 15 in just a moment. Have you ever heard life-changing words? If you're a Christian and you've read the Bible, if you've exposed your mind to the Scriptures, I think you're going to answer that question. You should answer that question in the affirmative because you have exposed your mind to life-changing words. You've heard something in the past that obviously changed your life. You became a Christian, and your life at that point changed forever. And as you continue to read and study, those words will continue to change your life, to change the person that you are. What's very encouraging about being a Christian is not only that I have in my Bible life-changing words, but I can speak those words. I can read and study the Bible. I can study the Scriptures. And as I learn the truth, I can speak that truth to others so that their lives will change as well. And it doesn't matter how eloquent I may be, or how lacking I may be in speaking ability, the power is not in me. The power is in the Word that can change people's lives. I want us to look at a passage. It's, it's a passage that is written by the Apostle Paul to a preacher. We'll get that out of the way right, right at the outset. It is, it is a preacher passage. He's writing to Titus, who was preaching the gospel. But I want you to notice some things that he says here that I think are relevant for all of us in the work that we would seek to do for the Lord because we all have, a, have some measure of responsibility to take what it is that we have learned and to share it with others. And it's motivational to consider that what you have in your hand are words that can change people's lives. It's motivational because it should motivate you. To do that very thing. But in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Now, the word speak is used interchangeably with the word teach in the scripture. So when he was speaking God's word, he was teaching God's word. And then he states in verse 15, These things, now the things that he speaks of or writes of here, are the very practical admonitions as well as the doctrinal matters that he discusses between verse 1 and verse 15. We're not actually going to be looking at those, but keep in mind the context. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority or command. And then he says, let no one disregard you. Now I want you to take those words. I want you to take the instruction of this passage and I want you to apply it to your life because tomorrow you're going to be faced with opportunities perhaps to teach and to speak things that can change someone's life forever. During the course of the next week, as you go to your place of employment or as you go to school or as you go to the places that you go to on a regular basis, you may have opportunities to speak words that can change people's lives. And these are the thoughts that Paul shares with us, and these are the thoughts that we ought to have as we avail ourselves of those opportunities. Life-changing words. Notice the first thing that he says here, that we are 
to use the Bible as the source of those things that we speak. He says, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Where does the doctrine come from? It comes from God's Word. He says to speak these things. What things? The things that we find in the Bible. Why are we going to concern ourselves? Why are we going to obsess with speaking those things? It's because those are the words that change people's lives. You remember what the psalmist wrote? In Psalm chapter 119, a, a psalm that is devoted in large measure to the Word of God. And, and we, we apply this psalm to our lives, to our own mindset when it comes to a, a study of the Scriptures, and we should. But I want us to go in a little bit different direction with it this morning as we think about this matter of sharing life-changing words with others. What does he say in this passage? What does he say about the Word of God? What does he say that God's Word means to him? And should the Word not mean the same to us? In Psalm chapter 119 and verse 105, again, it's a long psalm, but you'll notice in verse 105 he writes that your Word is a lamp to my feet and it is a light to my path. God's word to the psalmist provided guidance. It was a lamp. It was a light. It showed him the way that he needed to go. And these opportunities that God provides for us to share life-changing words, we need to remember that the words that we are sharing that are based upon truth can be for others what they are for us. We can provide through the words that we speak that which can change lives and that can provide guidance, whether it be in the matter of marriage, whether it be in the matter of employment, whether it be even in the matter of politics, what one would take to those discussions about political situations. We have a source of truth that can change perspectives and that can change people's lives. You remember in the book of John in the sixth chapter after Jesus had fed the multitudes? Those multitudes came to him seeking to be fed. They wanted more food. Jesus told them not to labor for the food that perishes and then he began to teach them certain things about himself. He taught them that he was the food of life. And that if they didn't need of his body, they would not live. Now, some had a difficult time with that. In fact, I would say that many had a difficult time with that to the extent that many of those who were his disciples stopped following him. But you'll notice in John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Stop working for the food which will give you fleshly life and work for the food which will give you eternal life. He then stated that the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. As the disciples began to depart, Jesus asked them, the twelve that is, are you going to go away also? You remember Peter's response in verse 68. He asked the question, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. These aren't just any words. These are words that can save. 
These are words that can change a person's, person's life, not just on the surface, not just something that's going to help them for a day or a week or a month or a year or, or during the course of their career, but these are words that can change their lives forever. And I am to speak those words, and you are as well. He also states in that Titus 2 verse, these things speak and exhort. To exhort means to encourage. Do you know anyone who needs to be encouraged? Do you know people who need to hear encouraging words? Do encouraging words change people's lives forever? Do encouraging words make people better people? Do they build up? Do they edify? That's the essence of what it means to exhort or to encourage. And as you take what you learn from the Scriptures, and you have to learn from the Scriptures, as you take what you know from the Bible, and you have to know the Bible, and as you speak those things, what that allows you to do is to create changed people who are built up, who are edified, who are encouraged. I want you to go with me to Psalms chapter 121 now. We're going to look at a different psalm, and we're going to look at this psalm in its entirety as, as we think about this, this matter of using the Bible and things we learn from the Bible to encourage and to build others up, whether it's a Christian or not. It could create or lead to an opportunity to help others. Think about the message of this psalm. Listen closely to the words of the psalmist. Look at it. Put your eyes on it. Open up your Bibles. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. God's not going to go to sleep. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard you going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Now, if your mind is filled up with that message, you're living a life of encouragement and you're being an encouragement to others. People are downcast. People are downtrodden. People are worn out with life. You have life-changing words. These things speak. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, after having written about the reality and the truth of the Lord's return, which, which some were questioning, Paul ends that chapter with, with this statement, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also were doing. In other words, just keep doing what you've been doing, but do it more. Are you taking God's word? Are you taking what you learn from God's word? Are you just keeping it to yourself? <laughs> or you, are you actually going out there in this world of darkness and you're lighting up the paths of others with these words and these words of encouragement. 
Titus 2 and verse 15, there's another word here which isn't quite as uh, pleasant, and that's the word reprove. These things speak. The Bible is the source of what we are to be speaking and exhort as we fill our minds up with Scripture then we have words that encourage us and that we can use to encourage others, but sometimes that's simply not enough. Sometimes there's the need for more. If you're a parent, you understand this. You can say all the good things that can be said to your children and you can encourage them and you can edify them and you can build them up. But every now and then, you've got to reprove them, don't you? You've got to rebuke them. You've got to say something that is aimed at changing their behavior. Within the realm of the local church fellowship, we want to encourage one another, but sometimes there's a need for reproof. Let's imagine a local church that has two preachers. We have our encouraging preacher, and then we have our reproving preacher. Can you imagine that? Now, if I'm the reproof preacher, let me tell you something. You're going to have to pay me more. Because people aren't going to like me as much as they like the encouraging preacher. And my job's going to be a lot more difficult. So you're going to have to pay me a lot more to be the reproving preacher than you would have to be, pay me if I were going to be the encouraging preacher. You get the point. It's a whole lot easier to encourage. I want to encourage. I want to build up. I want to be the guy that stands up here and just pumps you up. I don't want to be the guy that stands up here and makes you feel like you've been at church. As a man once said to me when, when I was preaching as a young guy and was probably a little bit too much on the reproving side, but at least he appreciated it. But I want you to think about what the Bible says of this matter of reproving and using the scriptures as a basis for that reproof. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 23, listen. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Think about that. Now go to chapter 9. What about, what about the attitude of the one who is reproved? You're going to have to think about that. You need to walk a mile in that person's shoes. Because if you reprove in a situation when it's necessary, you're going to have one or two responses. Now there's, there's a spectrum here. But in, on one side of the spectrum, there's going to be, you're right. Someone should have told me this a long time ago. On the other side of the, uh, the spectrum is going to be the one who absolutely resists and doesn't appreciate in any way what it is that you say to them. Well, the Bible puts those two in their proper categories. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 6. I'm sorry, chapter 9, beginning of verse 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. Well, then why would I do it? Is that, is that encouraging me to 
correct the scoffer or is that discouraging me to do so? When he says, if you do this, you're going to get dishonor for yourself. He who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Well, that's not encouraging. That doesn't make me want to reprove someone in their sin. What he's telling us here is the one who is not open to reproof, the one who is the scoffer, the one who is the sinner, and who wants to persist in that path, they're going to dishonor you. They're going to insult you. That's going to be their response. Verse 8, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. He's using extremes to make the point that some are going to respond favorably and some will not. What's the difference? The wise man is going to listen. Because he knows that the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Give instruction, verse 9, to a wise man and he'll still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase his learning. His ears are open. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. This is what's going to happen. This is the blessing that comes to the one who is reproved with life-changing words and responds instead of reacts. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you alone will bear it. You'll bear the consequences of your unwillingness to listen to the one who would rep reprove you. Chapter 15 and verse 31 of the book of Proverbs, and this will be our last verse before we move to the next point. He, he whose ear listens to the life-giving proof will dwell among the wise. So where do you want to be? Well, if, if you're the one that's reproving or rebuking, you're discharging your responsibility because that's necessary. But what if you're on the receiving end? Where do you want to be? Do you want to sit in the seat of the scoffer or the fool, or do you want to sit in the seat of the wise? If it's God's word that is being spoken, listen to it. Listen to it. He also encourages Titus in this verse to do these things with all authority. Now, let me say something about this verse. I heard it misused, and this has been a long time ago. There was this discussion taking place between a preacher who was teaching on the, the subject of the worship, the work, and the organization of the New Testament church. And there was another preacher who was speaking on behalf of an unscriptural practice. The first preacher asked him the question, well, what's your authority? What's your authority for that practice? And he quoted this verse. He said, my authority is Titus 2 and verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. That's all I'm doing. Well, no, you, you, you can't just say that without having the authority of Scripture. The authority does not vest in the man. The, the authority does not vest 
in the preacher, it vests in the Word of God. The Word of God is to serve as that authority. Now, this is important because if you are encouraging and you are reproving and you are speaking the, the life-changing words and you start finding less than favorable response, you'll become discouraged and you'll want to stop. And you'll be challenged and you'll be tested. But what you need to remember is you're standing on solid ground if you're speaking the truth. You're standing on the authority of God's Word. This is why we need to revisit this process of inspiration. And I'm not going to take a lot of time to do this, but if you'll think about what Jesus said in John 16 when he was preparing the apostles for their work after his departure. You remember how he told them he was going to send them the Holy Spirit to guide them into all truth? Well, in John 16, verse 12, he said, I, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will speak on his own initiative, or he will not speak. Not a very important word there. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. God sent Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit to guide the apostles into all truth. The Holy Spirit was not going to speak on his own initiative. He was only going to speak that which came to him from God. So they were to listen because God was speaking. That was the source of authority. Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take a mind, that is the Spirit, will take a mind and he will disclose it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes a mind and he will disclose it to you. So whenever I pick up the Bible, when I read God's word, I have the authority. I have the authority in God's word to speak life-changing words. I have the authority to encourage, to exhort, and I have the authority to reprove as long as what I am teaching is based and founded in Scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 2, Peter wrote that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Well, I have here the word that was given by prophetic utterance, the word that was given by the apostles under the direction of the Holy Spirit. I have here life-changing words. So I do not allow the negative response. I do not need to allow the negative response to discourage me. I need to speak. I need to exhort and I need to reprove with all command, with all authority. And then I need, as he points out here, which I think would have been easy for Titus or anyone to do, let no one disregard you. This is similar to the statement that Paul made to Timothy, let no one look down on your youth. Listen to me. If you're speaking life-changing words, do not allow others to disregard you. The problem is not in the word that you're speaking. The problem is in the reaction of the one who refuses to heed that word. Timothy was uh, a preacher who seemingly was somewhat timid. And because of that timidity, he needed to be reminded, as he was reminded in 2 Timothy chapter 1, that he was not to be afraid, that he was to kindle afresh 
the gift of God which was in him through the laying on of Paul's hands, and I believe that was a miraculous ability, but remember, those miraculous abilities were, were within their control. They could turn it on or they could turn it off. Let's put it that way. And then he says in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. A spirit of timidity, the word timidity could be translated cowardice. Cowardice, and that's something that God has given all of us. He's given us a spirit of power and love and discipline. He didn't make us cowards. We choose to be cowards. We choose to be timid. And we do that whenever others are disregarding us and we allow their behavior, their reaction to discourage us in doing what it is we need to be doing. We, we forget what's at stake. We forget what's at stake. And what is at stake is souls. James chapter 5 and verse 20, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now whether that's the person who's never obeyed the gospel or the person who has. When you're speaking biblical truth, when you're encouraging, when you're reproving, and your words are based on the authority of Scripture, do not let anyone disregard you. Because your effort is aimed at turning a sinner from the error of his way, saving his soul from death, and covering that multitude of sins. Take the life-changing words that you have within your, within your scriptures, within your Bibles, and just use them. Use them. They've changed your life, and they can change others. The lesson is yours. Let's go to God now in prayer.